0: Welcome to the Procurement Foundry Show, Tenor Talks. We ask the same five questions each week, providing you with chewable bites of expertise. I'm your host, Sarah Scudder, print procurement guru. I run Real Sourcing Network, a print procurement tech startup that leverages technology to provide companies with an innovative and painless way to buy high quality print for less. I am excited to have Hans Castile joining us today. Hans and I were just saying that we both are going for the COVID hair looks. I have now not cut my hair for 13 months, which is absolutely crazy since I normally cut my hair every six weeks and Hans going for the for the crazy look as well. So Hans, I, I always like to make our interviews a little bit fun and personal. So to start us off, please share two random non-business related fun facts about yourself
1: about me oh dear yes. I'm all about business, so I'm not quite sure that I have any fun facts that are not business related. Um, I cook. Um, I love to cook, which is what keeps my marriage together. Um, my wife is a psychologist, and so when she has interviews with her clients, um, for her it's nice to come back and, and have a cooked meal for her, and that happens every day. So it's become a habit.
0: Do you? What's your favorite dish to make?
1: Um, so I went. I went to Peru. Um, and I was surprised about the quality of the stuff that they're cooking in Peru. And there was this dish where they have a thing called taku-taku, which is rice, or leftover rice. It uh, originates from um, the early days of railroad laying. Now, when you had, um, you had uh, rosemary growing on the side of the railroad track and you had cooked rice that was leftovers from yesterday, you kind of put it together, bake it um, uh, together with a salad um, and some goose liver. And um, I know it sounds disgusting, but it's actually really good. So that's my favorite dish.
0: Well, I will happily come over if you're ever making a vegetarian meal.
1: I'll email you a copy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Hans, tell me a little bit about yourself and your current role.
1: Um, Currently, I am an independent management consultant. Um, And there there are a variety of reasons for it. COVID had nothing to do with it. This was a decision I made on my own accord um the the um the purpose of what i'm doing today is really to transfer as much of my knowledge as possible to aspiring upcoming or young people who haven't had the privilege to fail as much as i have done um, and who can leverage the lessons learned from those failings um, in pursuit of their own career growth um, or in their own growth for process and how it's done um, or how to interact with stakeholders. So that's, that's what I'm doing today, um, mainly.
0: Hans, it makes me think about the question that I ask sometimes um, when, I, when I ask people what advice they would give their 16-year-old self, since I know we all fail so much in our careers and if we could just look back and give that those one or two tidbits of advice how how that could change the course of of our careers.
1: Yeah yeah and usually it's the stuff that you don't expect that's really life-altering or career-altering. It's it's those little events that on the surface and at the time when they occur they seem innocent or innocuous. All of a sudden they become defining milestones in your career development and so was mine, so.
0: Who was one person, mentor, coach, or boss that helped you most in, in your career and why?
1: Um, in my early career, um, I was part of a, of a management group that, that uh, established an airline. Um, and we established that airline in the face of a lot of competition at that time. Um, there were about four or five direct competitors and maybe two or three indirect competitors. Um, and those, um, those that we talked to, you know, the suppliers that we talked to, um, would all say, you have no chance of success. There is no, there is no possible way that you'll succeed. And we did. Um, eventually, we went bankrupt, but that's a different story. Um, the first 15 years of our existence, we were, in fact, profitable. Um, and uh, we did that because we looked at how to do things, you know, given that everything is the same, that we're all trying to fly our planes from A to B and not trying to fall on our face in between. Now, what is it that we can do to make a difference that would appeal to our passengers, um, that they would choose us instead of our competition? Um, and so, um, I hated the guy with his guts. I, I couldn't stand them. I mean, we've had lots, lots of arguments, um, discussions, shall we say, not to say arguments, um, but in retrospect, he's the one that grew backbone. know, he's the one unbeknownst to me at the time um, showed me um, or demonstrated that there are ways to save money, not just by negotiating contracts, but by actually looking at the process and this, and, and thinking, you know, does that make sense? Is this the most effective way possible? Um, and so that's where really the, the origin of my thinking occurred that negotiating with suppliers certainly is a part of what I do, but there are much more meaningful ways to save money um, sometimes rather than just looking at a contract. Um, and it's the, so I, I've, I've dedicated my career Um, to not just look at sourcing and rfp issuance and comparing rfp responses and making the right decisions for the right reasons which in my mind is the easy way out it was really working with stakeholders to come up with different way of doing so not for the sake of doing them different but because it makes sense given the reality that you're dealing with
0: yeah and hans i'm in the marketing procurement space and and there's a a big challenge with procurement coming in and trying to only care about saving money marketing is not a priori- that's not a priority and focus for marketing so no. we work with a lot of companies to focus on innovation and value creation instead of just that cost savings
1: it's 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 a it's i've come to the conclusion that that that's a that's a, an output that's an outflow from um, who reports to whom within all enterprises? Um, I think if you're a procurement professional and you report to finance, which happens all too often tragically, finance is compensated and recognized for certain things. One of those things is saving money. And so, therefore, your marching order as a procurement guy, if you report to finance, is to save money. And then you go into these endless discussions as to whether that's a savings or whether that's a cost avoidance. the 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 hierarchical structure of an organization and who reports to who from a procurement point of view ought not to be financed because it's driving behavior that is not in the best interest of the company ultimately maybe in the best interest of the of the cfo Uh, it's certainly not in the best interest of the procurement professional that works with them and it's certainly not in the best interest of of organizations and i use the example that i that i mentioned before um you know if you look if you look for um, cost savings or, or or cost elimination opportunities by looking at processes and how do we do things and can I debundle a bundle of you know, components that constitute a an aircraft engine and perhaps extend the lifespan of one of the components that breaks down, therefore extending my period of of, of maintenance. I mean, it's it's a savings, but it's not recognized, um, and so therefore I would say you no. Know, Try not to respond, try not to report it to the CFO if you work for an organization um, that is not a bank, for instance, or that's not an insurance company, because then you you don't have those opportunities. Mm
0: -hmm. And what is the most innovative thing that you've seen in your space in the last 12 months?
1: It's the use of digital technology to make sense of data. I mean, I think so. To two factors um, the availability of digital wherewithal the availability of digital technologies predicated on the on the state of your of your data um, and I think there is now becoming an understanding that how you manage that data um, and how you massage it in order to be ready for digital access uh, is becoming key um, and I've also seen how people um, using digital data to do things that they should have been doing a long time ago. And with the emergence of the realities of this pandemic response are becoming absolutely essential, which is, so I have the data, how do I engage in fact-based and data-driven discussions with my stakeholders? Um, how do I do a risk analysis, for instance, based on previous and anticipated parameters? Um, how, do I de- how do I deal with demand management? Um, and, and do I have what-if scenarios that if I look at some of the data that I have that's been captured historically, you know, does it allow me to, to extrapolate some, uh, some conclusions that I can then use in the formulation of the strategy with my stakeholders? So it's, it's, that's the one thing that I think um, has been... The most innovative. The other innovative thing is that people are starting to realize that ERP type applications are probably a waste of time.
0: Yeah, there's there's a, a shift in and a philosophy that I believe in that uh, one ERP system does not solve all problems, and it's important for companies to look at niche category solutions that then integrate centrally for data and PO processing. Sure. So. I'm a You're big believer right, yeah. that that's the future, and we're going to see more and more organizations adopt that model. It's back to the future, yes. on <laughs> what is one unique thing that we don't know about you?
1: Um, I'm a rebel at heart. Um, and I mean, I realize that if you work in a corporate hierarchy, being a rebel at heart is not exactly a career enhancing aspect to have. But I do think. Um, and if you manage it carefully, um, that rebel at heart attitude also uh, propels to, to think, and I hate to use the, the, the expression, but to think outside of the box. Um, I mean, I think there is always a better way of doing things. There are always better solutions for accomplishing a task or an objective. Um, I found a lot of people have bought into mantras and dogmas and I think that's to their detriment. I mean, I think an independent thought, you know, rooted in reality and rooted in expertise is what I'm trying to convey to the people that I interact with to mentor them in, in their career progress. Um, my wife would say it's a pension deficit and probably would describe some medication for it. But I think I do think that you know, whether it's whether it's rebel at heart or whether it's a pension deficit, um, if you use it correctly uh, and, and intelligently, not that I'm saying that I'm intelligent, but if you use it intelligently, um, then I think you we can, we can leverage those seeming disadvantages to great advantage. Um, and so, yeah.
0: And I think Hans, if you look at a lot of the people that have made major innovations or, or you know built some of the biggest companies in the world they didn't get there by doing what everyone else had done right they questioned yes,
1: they pro- yeah. quote,
0: and they they thought they were their own thinker
1: that's right um, and they probably failed multiple times and I think you know failure is part of growing and um, I, I've, I view failure as a um, not as a liability but um, as a um as an asset and i'm probably in a minority of having that view um but if you if you know if, if if you don't fail you don't learn um it's a diff- it's you know it's a hard lesson it, it's it's a hard way to learn <laughs> um, it's a bit like a parent looking at the four-year-old and say well if you step there you're going to fall on your face and the four-year-old says i do it myself and then steps there and falls on their face it's like well oh, i told you so Um, it's the same thing. It's the same thing in your career. You need to to have the courage to fail um, and failure ought not to discourage you. It ought to be a motivator. So
0: Hans, our final question for today is what is one piece of advice you can give to people who are clawing up the ranks?
1: Um, So I have two pieces, if that's okay. Um, First of all is... um, Go back to basics, I mean, you know, companies have spent millions of dollars investing into ERP type applications. And what they're forgetting is that the application there is in support of a process, not to replace the process. Um, If you don't understand the process, then any type of technology that that you'll uh, invest in probably is not going to compensate for your lack of knowledge or your lack of professionalism. And I think that's, the, that's the, the mindset of a lot of people that invest in those type of applications on the one hand. And then the second piece of advice that I have um, is get to know data, make friends with data. And then secondly, or thirdly, once you are friends with data, get to know what to do with it and how to use that data to have intelligent conversations with your stakeholders, providing solutions and options and strategies that are beyond the obvious RFP issuance. Those are my two two kinds of advice I would give to up and coming people. Continue learning and embrace data.
0: All right, Hans, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here.
1: You're welcome, my pleasure. Thank you